Right, last message of 2021, we'll take a short break from the Gospel of John, and we will look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, as you're finding yourself, your place there, the title of the message is short, it is, I have three elements to the message, poured out, purposeful living, and prize. Poured out, purposeful living, and prize. Second Timothy 4, 6 through 8. My text reads this way. For I am already poured out, and the time of my departure has come. The good fight I have fought. The race I have finished. The faith I have kept. Henceforth, there is laid up or reserved for me a crown of righteousness, whom the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me in that day. But not only me, but also all who have loved or who have set their affection upon His appearing. Father, I pray You'll bless the preaching of this text this day for the edification and the profitability of Your people, that they will consider these words by the Apostle Paul. They'll evaluate their own heart and life. They'll set their direction. And Lord, they will live in such a way as to be able to say these very things when their life comes to an end. So help us today, we pray, in Christ's name, amen. As we worship on our last Sunday, three goals. This is, I hope you will receive it as a message of encouragement. I hope you don't receive it as a message of, man, I blew it this year, and oh, pity me because I wasted my life this last year. I'd rather you receive this message and say, yes, that's the way I want to end each year. I want to end each day. This is the way that I want to end my life. So at least the motive behind the sermon is that you would have something to shoot for in your life from this day forward until the Lord returns. Uh, There's a lot of things about my life personally that I thought were pretty stinking important when I was younger. I invested a lot of times in things that uh, I thought meant a lot. But it seems like as I get older, those things that were so important uh, seem to fade in distant memories. Maybe it's because my beard's turning gray, I'm not sure, but a lot of those things just don't seem that important anymore. So as the day of my departure draws nigh, I think Paul had a much better grasp. I think he knew it was imminent, and the text is going to bring that out. I'm pretty much clueless when I'm dying. It may be this afternoon, I'm not sure, but it could be 10 years from now, so I'm not as clear as Paul is, but Paul was certain that his life was at an end. But I do know this, that as I get older, I'm only 53, but I do know that the lights of Zion seem to get brighter. You see, if you read Pilgrim's Progress enough, maybe it'll set in, but 
in the first part of his journey, you don't see the lights that clearly. But as you get on through the journey, they keep seeming to show up and they keep wanting to look at those lights because they're becoming a little bit nearer. And, and when that happens, I think great joy, great hope, and great anticipation ought to fill our hearts. The, the thought that begins to resonate in my heart is, I'm almost home. I'm almost there. I'm not there yet, but I'm getting closer. And so the result of that type of thinking is, is I, I have... I don't know, I I lose energy, maybe that's part of getting old, but I lose energy to pursue certain things that have little to no substance in them. I mean, it's not wasting my time with trivial things to the degree that I used to. When I was younger, I thought I could do 50,000 things at once. As I get older, I'm like, now I have enough sense to know I can't, so might as well just invest in that which matters, because I surely can't do it all. And so I would hope you'd receive that, that as life goes on, things get more manageable, more clear, and more easy. There's only a few things in my life that I'm really interested in anymore. Really, like, let's take last week, for example. Almost every single person I asked, how are things going? The answer was, busy. I'm not busy. People say, well, you do a lot of stuff. Yeah, but I'm not busy. I'm doing things on purpose, and I'm making a schedule that matters. I'm doing things intentionally now, whereas before, I was burning the candle at both ends just trying to figure out how I could survive life. It just killed me, this thing we call the rat race of life. And I'm like, I'm sick of living that way. I'm doing the things I do because they matter. It's not busyness, it's fruitfulness. Matt would ask you this morning, busy with what? Busy with what? What I guess generally speaking, uh, people work. uh, They keep their kids involved in everything under the sun, which they think is for their profit, but it's actually detrimental because they can't focus on what matters. (laughs) They maintain whatever personal hobbies they're interested in. We shop and like there's no end to shopping. We engage continuously on social media. We watch TV. We sleep. It's like we're busy with that. I'm like, I'm just not sure what the profitability is in all of that or if there's any. Sometimes when I think about the generics of life, I think I'm reading Ecclesiastes and it's vanity on vanity upon vanity and all this stuff we do doesn't even matter because it's just vanity unless we figure out how to live for the other side of the sun instead of under the sun. By the way, I know you know this. This is not rocket science or whatever they're supposed to say, but you say, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. You have the exact amount of time per day that Jesus had. And so do I. We all, it's not like we get a different schedule of time. Every one of us gets 24 hours. At midnight tonight, it's going to end. And you'll get another 24 hours if God gives us tomorrow. So everybody has the same amount of time. And if we can insert my grandma in here, she was right. And my grandma would say, and we always have time to do what we want to do. John Randall. That's what she called me. So, John Randall, we have enough time to do what we want. So what do you want etched in your tombstone when it's over? Here lies Bob, not too busy to die. So would you ask God this morning, as you hear this message, would you ask him to direct your life? And help you to fight, to finish, and to keep.
God help me to fight. God help me to finish. And God help me to keep. That's what I want to do. When it gets to the end of 2022, if I'm still alive, I want to say, the good fight, I fought it. The race, I finished it. The faith, I kept it. Because that's all that's going to matter when you stand before the righteous judge. The thesis for this message is one sentence. There is a crown to be obtained. And it is obtained for those, (laughs) you guessed, (laughs) who fight the good fight, who finish the race, and who keep the faith. All right, verse 6, picturing the end. Paul says here in verse 6, first phrase, I have already been poured out. Present tense verb here for poured out. I think maybe the English translation says, and poured out as a drink offering. They make a whole phrase out of this one Greek word that means to be poured out. Figuratively, this word means of one's own blood being poured out in violent death. Paul says, I'm here. The present situation of my life is my blood is poured out. It won't be a matter of time here, time frame-wise, just outside of Rome. One guy's martyred in Rome, one guy's martyred outside of Rome. The guy inside of Rome is the Apostle Peter. He's crucified, according to church history, upside down. The Apostle Paul, just outside of Rome, he is beheaded for the cause of Christ. There goes his head rolling down the ground there. He says, it's all right, I'm going to get a crown to put on my head that just rolled off because my head rolled off for the gospel. And so he'll receive this crown of righteousness. And so here he is writing. Uh, people struggle with Moses writing about his death in Deuteronomy. And here's Paul writing about his death in Timothy. He knows he's about to die. It's imminent. It's at his doorstep. It, <laughs> some of the lexicons would say it this way. He's using this present progressive tense to indicate the certainty of the event. He's saying to Timothy, Timothy, I am going to die like now. My life is over. He's done. So that's his position. It's it's as if it were already taking place. It's as if his head is laying on the guillotine and they're about to pull the deal and it's about to fall. He's laying there on the guillotine shackled saying, I've been poured out. My time of departure is now. It's ready. Listen to me. I've got one last word to give you. That's the way we should see verse 6. Paul is telling Timothy, you must carry on the ministry. I'm about to depart. (laughs) For the Apostle Paul, that which in earlier days was just a mere possibility has now become reality. So go back earlier in Paul's life, Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. You don't have to turn there unless you like, but earlier in his life, he says this, even if I am poured out, it might happen that I might lose my blood for the gospel. That's earlier. Now we've moved to the position, I am poured out. So that's the progression of his life. It's also said, somewhat this same phrase is said of our Lord Jesus, whom we dearly love. Isaiah said it best. 
in Isaiah 53, 12. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Why? Because he poured out his soul to death. There's that violent, sacrificial slaughtering of the Lamb of God. That phrase meaning his life is given up, blood is poured out. That type of phraseology, that type of application to Christ, Paul is taking that application to himself. Not substitutionary atonement, but the thought of my life is going to be martyred for the gospel. And Paul, in a little bit different wording, Paul speaks to you. And he speaks to me in a similar fashion in the book of Romans, chapter 12, and verse 1. You remember it. I appeal to you. I beseech you. I, I, I beg of you. I'm, I'm urging you with everything within me, brothers. I'm urging you by what? By the mercies of God. Here's what I want from you, Christian. You present your body. Present your life, your Christianity as a living sacrifice. You're daily being poured out for the cause of the gospel. That's all that really matters. Live it up. Go all in. These coaches say 110%, 120%. I don't even know what that means. Just give 100 because that's all you got. Give everything you have. To serve Christ. Live as a sacrifice. Die to self daily. Fight the good fight. Do this for the cause of the gospel. That's what Paul pleads with the church in Rome. And he says here in this verse, the time has come. It's uh, set. It's come upon me. There's a lot of perfect tense verbs here. <laughs> to, to be before one as an event about to occur, it's imminent. Departure is now. It's almost as if, like I said, like he's laying on the guillotine and somebody's got their hand just about to pull it and that thing's going to fall and his head's going to roll off. I've seen guillotines. And it, it gave me the EBGBs just looking at it, thinking people died on this thing. And it's like he's laying there saying, it's time, pull it, dude. I'm done with this world. It's, it's right there. It is going to occur. He's leaving life. He's entering death which will usher him into eternal life. He's leaving. Can you get a note of joy somehow? He's leaving this world to enter the joy of his Lord. We have to grasp this as a Christian or we'll never apply it and live this. Look, this is a day when you pour everything out for Christ, the greatest day is your homecoming. I finally see him. That's the way Paul is talking. Now, for us, knowing that the end is coming, it should at least cause you for a moment to reflect on your life. Look, we can all be honest, I, I would hope, this morning. I've wasted some time in my life. I, I've invested in things that were not profitable, and I did a lot of things that's like, really, I don't even remember what they were. And maybe you experienced this if you want to be Christmassy about this. What did you get three Christmases ago? I don't even know where I had Christmas at three Christmases ago. I, I can't keep up. There's a lot of things we do and put a lot of emphasis on that we don't even remember anymore. So as life comes to an end, I want to reflect on what matters and what doesn't matter and we'll say, you know what, I'm not doing that anymore. 
I'm not going to involve myself with all of these things because I won't even remember them next week anyways. I'm not spending $5,000 for a Super Bowl ticket because next year I'll forget who was even in the Super Bowl. I'm just not doing it. I'm going to give some money to Rolando in Honduras. I'm going to remember that. I'm going to do something that matters and has content to it. And I hope you're not here, but if you are, maybe you have time for correction. But people wonder, did my life even matter? When you get older, you think like that. Did my life matter? I talked to a missionary we supported from this church for 13 years, Andrew Rockway. Andrew and Amanda, I talked to him for a long time. And he's left the mission field. He's back at home 13 years in an undisclosed location in North Africa. And he's like, he's asking me, he's like, you know, was it worth it? I mean, what did I accomplish? I didn't start a church. I didn't do this. And we got to talk about all the people he shared the gospel with, all the language he learned, everything he did to invest in one person for the gospel. And I said, Andrew, it matters. It mattered to that one guy. It mattered to that one girl for 13 years. And if you shared the gospel with one person, it mattered. He began to weep on the phone. He was like, and I said, Andrew, I said, I'm proud of you. You gave 13 years of your life to gospel ministry. Praise the Lord. I had the same conversation years ago when Jonathan Murdoch left Mexico City. Ten years and we still don't have a self-supportive local church in Mexico City. And Jonathan's struggling with, did I waste ten years of my life? No, my brother. You didn't waste ten years of your life. You invested ten years of your life for the kingdom of God. We preached the gospel. We preached in conferences. We preached in churches. We passed out tracts. Brother, you did all this for ten years. You got married. You got two beautiful children. It's worth it. Your life matters. And think about it, every Christmas time, every time I look at this Bible, this morning I took a check and I put in the offering plate. It's a generous offering given by the man who paid for this Bible. And what? Your life matters because I race motorcycles. I race these dirt bikes on these motocross courses. I had this 18-year-old kid. His name was James, and we became friends. He went home for Christmas, got hit by a drunk driver, and was killed 17 years ago, and his dad still ties to this church on Christmas because what we did to serve him in that time blessed his life. Do stuff that matters. Do stuff that impacts people for the kingdom. Knowing the end of Paul's life should encourage you to refocus on what you do from this point forward. Verse 7. Now I know it read differently in my text than yours. The English, I don't know why. Well, I sort of know why. But they, the emphasis falls on the I. And so you have I in the first part of these three phrases. I have fought, I have finished, I have kept. And so you read it that way. Um, Brother David, I don't know, but maybe they might want in out there, and maybe they not, I don't know. But either that or maybe they're trying to hear the preaching, I don't know. But in the Greek text, the emphasis becomes not that way. The good fight is the emphasis. Okay, the race is the emphasis. Okay, the faith is the emphasis. And Paul's saying, those things that are the most important, that's what I've kept. That's what I've finished. That's what I have fought for. Now, let's take these just one at a time, and we have this fight that he has uh, for this good work. Paul can make this statement about his entire ministry. At the conclusion of his life, he says, this fact remains. I have fought this good fight. It remains. After all my days and all these men through, it remains. I have fought this good fight. 
You remember in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, not too far from this text, he says to Timothy this, same phrase to Timothy, fight the good fight. We're, we're listening from Paul. Paul's saying, I have fought it. Timothy, you fight it. It's same thing for us. It's like Paul's telling me this. It's like he's telling you this. Look, I think from the Damascus Road until your head rolls down the plain, in between those two periods, he says, I stayed in the fight. I didn't leave. I didn't get out of the ring. I didn't throw in the white towel. I didn't forfeit. I didn't quit. I didn't break the rules. I just kept fighting. Why? Because I found something worth fighting for. The gospel is worth fighting for. You understand, churches lose the gospel every week, and they get all into all these other things and all this other stuff and trying to keep all this machinery running. I don't want to keep a machine running. I don't want to be a businessman who's a good CEO who has to know how to make sure everything works. I just want to make sure we keep the gospel. That's what Paul is saying. The good fight, a struggle against opposition. Usually this term is used in terms of boxing or in the terms of wrestling. When you fight this fight, this good fight, people think you're crazy. Let me give you an example. Acts chapter 26, just very briefly, just to give you a world, worldly perspective of how they see people fighting this good fight. Acts 26 Verse 24, and uh, I wanted to use this text because it has the name of my dog in it. I like my dog. And he was saying these things in his defense. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning has driven you out of your mind. You are crazy. And Paul's like, well, I'm not leaving the fight. I'm staying in it for the gospel. You think I'm crazy? I think I'm the only sane person on the globe. Paul stays in the fight. It's good fight. Why is it good, by the way? It's good because it's for God and it's for the gospel. This is a side note in a sense, not really a side note, but a lot of the fighting and the struggling we do is because we're trying to defend ourselves and maintain ourselves. And keep ourselves at a certain status. Paul has lost sight of himself. He's died to self. He's fighting for something far higher than himself. He's fighting for God and for the gospel. And by the way, if you don't know, the war hasn't ceased. Just try living the gospel out in your own home, in your own workplace, in your neighborhood, or at the, at the Walmart store, wherever it is. You try living this thing out and see if there's not opposition uh, to your stand, you will begin to find out the war does rage on. And also in First Timothy, uh, well, I already said that, okay. It, it, and he says next, after he's fought this good fight, he says, the race he has finished. Think about Christian, Pilgrim's Progress, one more time this morning. I think about from beginning to end, and I think about leaving the city of destruction, and I think about the slew of despond, and at the slew of despond, obstinate and, uh, and uh, help me, pliable, they turn back. They turn back. It's too difficult. And they, go, they go back. They don't finish the race. If the race is from the slew of despond to Zion, they only make it to the slew and they go back. And then they have this stately palace later on in the journey, and Christian's walking, and these two guys come running at him. 
He's like, dude, where are you going? He's like, well, there's lions up there, and they're ferocious, and they'll eat you, and you'd be safer to go back. And so they run on their way, and, and Christian goes, well, if I go back, if I turn back, it's certain death. I mean, I know that I'm going to die if I go back, but if I go forward, who knows? So I'm just going to go ahead and shoot for finishing this thing and see how it works out. And then he, surprisingly, he finds the two lines are on chains and can't reach him, and he walks right past them. See, this is where we need to understand. Don't assume this is going to happen and that's going to happen. Just go ahead and keep pressing forward by faith, and see what the Lord will do. Like unto the Lord Jesus Christ, the supreme example on this matter. You know the text well, John 19, verse 28. Jesus on the cross, I would suppose at this point, death is imminent. I would suppose that at this point he could say, I am poured out. And so there in 1928, Jesus knowing that all was now finished. I've reached the end of my course. He didn't deviate to the right, to the left. He didn't compromise in any way. He never sinned in word, thought, or deed. And there he hangs bleeding upon a tree. He says, I finished. Finished what? I finished the race. Everything my Father sent me to do, I have completed the task in perfection. And then you go to John 19, 32 verses later. In this glorious work of redemption by the Lord Jesus, he says, quote, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, the Greek word, tetelestai, it is finished. What a wonderful thing to be able to say when you're laying in your hospital bed, when you're laying there in a situation and you know your life's coming to an end, and you can somehow, as your family's viewing you, you can somehow, with a little glimmer and a spark of hope in your eyes, look at them and say, I finished. I finished. If I'm ever in a position where I'm laying there and I have hospice, and I have a hospice nurse, I hope it would be my last words. I hope by the grace of God he'd give me the energy to formulate the words and say, I've finished. I've finished. I've done all I can do. Look, we come to, you, you can't look back and live in the past. You say, well, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this. That doesn't give you a pass to go on vacation. You want me to give you my track record? I preached this many thousands of sermons. I passed out this many thousands of tracts. I talked to this many people about Jesus. I went to the jail for eight months in a row, week after week after week, and I've done all this, and so now I get a break. No, today's a new day. Today's an opportunity. Today I get the possibility of doing something for King Jesus. I want to finish the race. It's not over. I had not got to the finish line yet. I can still breathe. My heart's still pumping. I still got a voice. I still got a life. So let's just keep going on is anybody getting this Paul says John the Baptist Paul spoke about John the Baptist Acts 13 25 (laughs) he says it this way when John was finishing his course remember John Beheaded like Paul when he was finishing his course. You know what he said? You know what John the Baptist said when he was finishing his course? What do you suppose that I am? 
I'm not he. What a beautiful testimony. No, but behold, there's one coming after me that's far greater than I am. You know, as a matter of fact, I don't even have, I don't even have the ability to tie his shoes. It's the way he finished his course, all being poured out for another. Paul does the same thing, and so can you. You can finish your life being all in for Jesus. A beautiful, beautiful story. And then Paul speaks of himself to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 24. He says, you know what? I don't account my life worth much of anything. I've looked at my life and it don't have any value. It's not precious to myself. He says, look, if only I could finish, if only I could finish my course, if only I could finish the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. What's my ministry? I want to finish giving testimony of the gospel of God. And my life doesn't matter. I'm going to die. Nobody can believe in Paul and get saved. He clears that up in Corinthians. Nobody can believe in Apollos and get saved. Look, we ain't nothing. Look, my life doesn't matter in that sense. This is the only thing that matters. I just want to finish with the gospel that I was given. Think about him walking down that Damascus road. Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? The whole conversion event. And from that moment until his head rolls just outside of Rome, he's devoted to gospel ministry. I cease not to warn you night and day for the space of three years, warning you about the gospel and eternity. Poured out my life. And he's telling Timothy, I have finished the race. You don't have to be a preacher to pull this stuff off. I don't know if it's harder or easy being a preacher or not being a preacher. I'm just saying that when you enter into Christian faith, you've got to keep it till the end. And that's what he closes with. I have kept. Look, you know as well as I know how many people don't keep the faith. You know how many people I know, how many people you know that once took up a faith and then discarded it? You know how many preachers I know, 40 years over here, ending the ministry in adultery and affairs, minister here, a preacher here in this area I won't name, who's still in prison because he's a child sex offender. You know the guy on my ordination council laid his hands on me and prayed God bless my ministry is still in prison because he was messing around with teenage girls and so he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison. Look, not everybody finishes. They don't keep the faith. How many people have come through this church and one little thing happens like, I ain't coming back there no more. I'm not, well, why don't you come anymore? Well, you know, we did my husband's funeral there, and every time I go in that building, all I can think about is his casket, so I'm just never going back. Are you kidding me? Well, I had a miscarriage, so I don't believe in God no more. Have you never read a Bible? What do you mean? If one serious issue happens to your life and you just throw your faith away? Well, well, so-and-so died because of cancer. This happened over here and I lost my job and I went to church but my teenage son ran off and become a homosexual and you're going to throw your faith away and go to hell? What? That doesn't make any sense. Probably the, the, the truth is you never had faith. All of hell come upon you and the only thing we've got to hold on to is our faith. things happen say, why do you still go to church where do you want me to go it's the only place I have any sanity is with my brothers and sisters in Christ I come here that maybe somebody would pray and encourage me in some way and I can encourage them because I can't get nothing out there but stupidity and you stupid in the pulpit I forget if you can or not these people out there are stupid they've lost their minds 
and be like Judas. Well, I could make 30 bucks. Well, you know, I have to work, preacher. Do you? You know how many people have left this church because they had to have a job and work on Sunday? I lost count a long time ago. I wonder if they thought the lines were chained or not. God might have provided another way if they'd have kept the faith. You ever consider that? Well, I have to work on Sunday. Well, consider this. I'm not going to work on Sunday, and I'm going to ask God to provide. I wonder if he could do it. You think God could provide another way? But you say, what's the danger? It's just a Sunday. I know it's just a Sunday. And that Sunday comes with two and three and four. And then down the road, and you see this, all this tragedy of this family. You're like, what happened to that guy? Well, he got too busy. He didn't hold on to the faith because he had to hold on to everything else. On that last day, to be able to say, I've kept the faith in the gospel of the Lord Jesus, the faith that he would save and that he would keep and that he would take me home. I'm encouraged by Paul as I think about some of the things he says about shipwrecks, danger, 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 and then the anxiety of the churches that are upon him every day. I've never seen anybody other than the Lord Jesus that's dealt with so much persecution and difficulty in his life. And he says, but I've got one thing. I've held on to the faith. Even through the midst of the most difficult of times, he still believed the gospel was enough. Is it enough for you? Now, let's move into the last point. Verse number 8 is the prize. And this is where it includes all of us. Henceforth, finally, from now on, in the future, henceforth. As he said in Ephesians 6.10, Henceforth, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. He's, he's got something reserved. Henceforth, there's laid up for me. There's reserved for me. Um, sounds like Peter, reserved for me in heaven. And it's the same type of thought here, this reward that is there. In Colossians 1.5, Paul used this word in writing to the church of Colossae when he said, because of the hope laid up for me, we've got this hope laid up. Nobody can touch this. Moth and rust ain't going to affect this thing. Or you can think about it, Paul fought, finished, and kept. His reward was what? It's this crown that cannot be depreciated. This crown, what is the crown? Is it a physical wreath they put on a runner's head? Is it some kind of prize? No, no, no. The crown is righteousness. When you see Christian enter into the gates at the end, going into Zion, he's awarded this righteousness. He has a robe of righteousness that he wears. He has the right clothes. The other guy doesn't come in. He don't have the right clothes. You find out there's a place that goes to hell, another door right there because you don't have the right clothes. You read the parable. How did you get in here? You don't have the proper garments. Proper garments are given to those who kept the faith. Fought the good fight. Finished the race. Notice to, you know, I've done a lot of racing in my life, whether motocross or bicycles, and I've got trophies and medals and all kind of different things, and I don't have the slightest idea who gave me the trophy. I don't have the idea who gave me the thing put over your head with a little, you do the hotter in hell, and you race for 100 miles and 100 degrees, and they give you a $2 medal to put around your neck or whatever. I don't know who gave me the thing. I don't know who they are. But 
Paul knows there's one going to give me this crown, and it's going to be the judge of all the earth. That's who's going to, it's going to be the Lord Jesus. Think about this, by the Lord himself. This humbling to me, the king of glory coming and being born in a manger is beyond my mental comprehension. But now to think that the king would come down off of the throne and award me with righteousness, personally, by name, here's your robe of righteousness, your crown of righteousness, enter into the joy of your Lord. I don't even know what to say. I don't have words to receive such a crown. The righteous judge, the supreme judge. In that day, what, what, what day is he talking about? The day of our departure. The day we're no longer here, but we're there. The day, not the day we pass, but the day we die and we're dead and we live here no more, we will be alive forevermore. And I'm absent from the body, I'm going to be present with my Lord. That day, that's the day we're talking about. The day that we meet Jesus face to face and we receive this righteousness from Him. George W. Knight III says, what is the crown but the, quote, permanent and perfect state of righteousness into which the Christian is brought by God. God takes and brings you, you can't even get this, brings you into perfect righteousness. No sin, no sickness, no sorrow, no no distraction. Look, here, let me help you. I am going to sing in heaven without sin. And I'm going to sound good. I am. And I'm not even going to be distracted by all of my stupidity. I'm just going to be able to truly worship because all my sins are going to be gone. And I'm going to be in perfect righteousness because my Savior is going to give me righteousness. That's what's available for you. If you believe it, you'll set your life for it. Look, People who exercise are stupid. I'm wearing out the word stupid. But they're, they're stupid. Ask Joshua. Ask Tom Tom. They'll tell you. People run. They make perfectly good cars. People, people run for 26 miles in the heat. I mean, they're crazy. They eat weird stuff. They exercise. They strain. They buy all kind of shoes. They do all this stuff. And people that ride bicycles are another level of stupid. Dude, they get run over by cars, they all kind of stuff. And after all that, they get up and go, oh, I want to ride again. Hey, preacher's got pneumonia. What's he doing? He's out on a bike ride. What? He's just lost his mind. Look, if people would do all of that for goofy stuff, why will we not go big for God? Why don't we go big for heaven? Why don't we just, just go all in in this race and just be crazy for Jesus? And he says, This reward is exclusive. It's reserved, Paul says, it's reserved for me. But it's also universal. But also for those, all of those, all of you-ins, right? All of us-ins. It's reserved for everybody who loves his appearing. Let me give you a couple of texts and Rapid fire. 1 Timothy 6, 14. To keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 4.1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Titus 2.13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 2.8, the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Those who love the thought that Jesus is going to appear, they are going to receive crown of righteousness. And those who love his appearing are living for that appearing. That's what they've set their heart upon. Quote, Paul leaves this note that all Christians long for Christ's return and will therefore all receive a crown of righteousness, which is particularly joyous and encouraging in the face of his departure. For Timothy to embrace, I embrace what you say, Paul, and I pass it on to others. I'm trying to embrace this same truth and pass it on to you. It's a joy to do so because there's no greater way to live. So let us fight the good fight. Let us finish the race, and let us forever keep the faith until Jesus appears to judge the world. And in so doing, we will receive a crown of righteousness. Life is short, and James said this, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time, and then you vanish. So in this little blip of time, this little blip, fight the good fight, finish the race, keep the faith. Father in heaven, I thank you for these words. Lord, I confess, I know I fail. I know that I get sidetracked and distracted by things just like anybody else. I'm just as human as anybody in the room. But Lord, in hearing these words from the Apostle Paul to Timothy and to us, I am encouraged to think through what it is I'm going to do with my life from this point forward. Help me. Help our church to pray through, think through, and to invest in things that matter. For Lord, our life is so short, so brief, it won't be long. We'll be standing before the righteous judge. I pray that each one of us would live 100% fully committed to God and his gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.